When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Will the market pick a direction? Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Thursday, October 20, 2022. I'm Ash Bennington, joined today by Tommy Thornton, founder of Hedge Fund Telemetry. Quick reminder, our live chat function on the Real Vision site is temporarily down, so please drop your questions in the comments section on the Real Vision website or in the live chat on YouTube or tweet to us directly at Real Vision. Uh, by the way, we now have a word from our sponsors, or to be more precise, Raul and Damien. They want you to know what you see in the daily briefing is just a fraction of what you get when you subscribe to Real Vision. We believe that the next three months could define what happens in the economy over the next three years, which is why we've just launched the hugely popular Make or Break series. This is quite simply essential viewing. If you want to protect your wealth or find the hidden opportunities in the months ahead, an annual subscription is now just $99. All right. I think that will make Ral happy. So let's get back to it. Tommy, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Nice to see you. Um, kind of a wild time in the market right now. It sure is. It's a great day to have you on. Tommy, I've been off in crypto land all day. What are you looking at? What are your big stories? Crypto land. Um, yes, yes, it still exists. It's like on the moon, you know, it's like Capricorn one. It's not really there. But anyway, um, <laughs> I don't believe in the moon landing. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so the, the markets are chopping around and i think the the turbulence has been uh, you see these like little short term five percent six percent bounces and the bounces are getting shorter every time and and they're steep and drop off real quick but what's been really nasty is the intraday action where you see these gap ups and then they fade and they close underneath the open and it's just trapping a lot of traders in there and it's just like a bullies on the playground just punching you it's just really tough for traders. So my view is just, and, and it has been, I've been very tactical all year. I've kept a very high cash percentage. I've preached caution continuously, uh, looking for ideas on the both the long and short side, but you've got to keep your size down. And I've been, you know, buying things or selling, shorting things at uh, moderate, you know, exposure. I'm actually very, um, my, I'm set up very neutral right now in my exposure, but I, I am max short my size limit for SPY and Qs. So we'll see um, how that goes. And it all can change tomorrow. I'm not stuck in you know cement on any any positions. Well, let's talk about SPY. Let's talk about more broadly the S&P 500. Uh, looks like off about eight-tenths of 1%, closing out the day at 3,665. Uh, as you said, some chop in that. Uh, what's your take? What's your interpretation? Well, we have next week the meat of the market reporting. You have all the mega cap names reporting, and it's going to be just an absolute uh, week where you can you might need a helmet a couple days, and you could see some really strong rips higher, uh, depending on uh, what 
you know, the market interprets with some of the earnings. I mean, you saw Netflix had a really strong report. I saw a lot of holes in the report, but the market chased it. Not that many people were short Netflix. So I think it was more of a exposure chase on the long side. I'm not sure how long that's going to last. Um, you saw Tesla uh, report and their earnings were sort of squishy, not great, not wonderful. And in the past, if they, they came cut, out with inline- and they What's lower that? their full-year growth expectation as well. Tesla. Well, I mean, you know, not not by much, not by as much as I think they're going to need to lower their expectations. But uh, the market used to reward them, even whatever they reported, they, the stock would go up. And and now it's starting to fade. And people are nervous about Elon selling stock to buy Twitter, which I think is possible. Um, so that's that. We can talk a little bit more about Tesla in a while. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we can focus in on that. But let's also talk more about the broader sort of macro setup that we see here right now. I mean, the thing that I've been looking at here going into this is I'm looking at right now the five-year chart uh, on the U.S. 10-year Treasury. Uh, and it's it's basically, you know, uh, if you're not looking at this right now on your screen, it's basically rolling up. Uh, it looks like uh, the low, I think, was in uh, was in July of 2020, around 50 basis points on the 10-year Treasury. Uh, here we are at about uh, 425 basis points four spot 232 right now on my screen. Uh, pretty pretty stunning when you think about the rate of change uh, in terms of the 10-year Treasury yield rising. Yeah, I'm not sure if that was the right chart. I, I don't know. Maybe I wasn't looking at it. Um, yeah, we're, um, you know, a lot of people just keep wanting to buy bonds. And, you know, I'll take a little stab at, at bonds every once in a while and, you know, reverse my course quickly. I've traded bonds pretty well. Uh, I was very, very negative in bo with bonds uh, when yields were, you know, really, really low. I remember when the two-year uh, crossed 20 basis points, I said, uh-oh, this is going to really take off. From, and now it's at, you know, four and a half percent. It's just, you know, 4.6 percent. It's just been insane. Uh, there's a lot of carnage out there in the bond market, and I'm not quite sure that it's done. And partly because you have a lot of sovereign governments and, you know, large corporations that are selling bonds uh, and buying dollars. And that's why the dollar keeps its strength as well. So it's been really one trade. It's been, you know, long dollars, short bonds, short stocks, um, you know, look at the yen. I mean, this is the breaking point. Um, I think it's going to be the breaking point. Um, in the market, the yen continues to decline versus the USD. It's at 150. They have J Japan's CPI tonight. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on the Bank of Japan, and you know, just stay near your phones and see what happens. Yeah, we'll talk more about that in a second, but I just want to uh, double click on the point that you just made. A uh, 10 year US Treasury yield right now at four spot two three. Uh, Two-year U.S. Treasury, four spot, six, one. Long story short, two's 10 spread. Right now getting close to 40 basis points, uh, minus three, eight. Almost negative 40 basis points, negative 0 0.38 right now. Yeah, the real thing that I'm going to watch is when um, the curve uh, starts to narrow, um, or excuse me, when it starts to widen, um, excuse me, steepen. Uh, I, I think that that's, you know, quite possible um, in a few months. And I'm watching the two-year really, really closely. Uh, you know, we've had exhaustion signals, the DeMarc exhaustion signals on the daily timeframe with several of the bond proxies. And 
you know, one of the things that is very important is when you do not get the reversal as you ex would expect, uh, or a very nominal type reversal or stalling, uh, it's telling you exactly what this trend is, and it's ex very, very strong. So I, I'm not, I'm not calling any, you know, turns in the bond market right now. Um, you know, it could, it could certainly happen at any time, but I just don't see it right now. You talked about this idea of a curve steepener. Which side uh, do you think is going to move? I think I think the two year. I think the two year is going to decline. Or the 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 yield on two year is going to decline. Yield is going to decline. You see prices rising in Treasuries at the short end of the curve. Yeah, short end. I mean, and and you know that's sort of a fluid. I don't want to like go in stone on that, but that's. A little what I that's kind of where I see um, that's where I see it happening. And, and what are the drivers on that, Tommy? It's good. It's a good point. Uh, you know, look, maybe the Fed, and I'm not a Fed pivot person at all, uh, but I could see if let's say the equity market falls to three thousand. My target is around twenty nine fifty. Not necessarily on this leg down. It could happen. It could happen very quickly. Um, not saying crash, but it could crash. Uh, but uh, you could see the Fed moderate their their hikes, and they may just say, "Let's go 25 or 50 basis points." It's it's a low probability at this point, but that is where I see the bond market um, making a big turn. Um, Meaning, you could not happen. You could see the hawkishness diminishing at the margin, uh, going from the price in of 75 basis points down to 50 or maybe even 25 if you start seeing more carnage uh, in, in asset pricing. You're really going to need some sort of you know snap in the market for that to happen. So I, I'm, that's a low probability right now. Right. But anything is really possible. If Look, we've just been at new lows on the S&P last week. And if we break those next week with the big mega cap names, you know, anything is possible. Um, look, I think the Fed's inflation target at 2% is going to be very, very difficult. You've got very, very sticky um, inflation metrics, especially with uh, owner equivalent rent is just it's very hard to turn that. I don't see that going down for a few more months. And that's the problem that they have. They're, they're, you can't pinpoint and be surgical about controlling inflation without really breaking everything in the economy and sending the economy into a recession. Yeah, that's very well said. It's almost the opposite of surgical. It's a carpet bombing approach. It's really the only uh, way yeah. to do it at this point. Yeah, it's in, uh, and look, you haven't seen employment go up. You're still at three and a half percent. And I think the Fed is not gonna necessarily blink until you're over five percent and that's even still a historically you know very very low level you're, you're, talking, about the, that, you're talking about the u3 right here on unemployment yeah u3 and the problem i see is also when we've had a, a rise in the unemployment rate it's not a six-month thing it is a 12 plus month type of move um the pandemic was a little special and different and i don't think we're going to have that type of move obviously but I think that's, um, you know, that's a risk. I mean, in going back in history, the um, Volcker, you know, his pivot was long after, uh, almost a, over a year after inflation 
uh, and the CPI peaked and you know, unemployment was still going up and it was going up over 10%. And that's when he, he pivoted. I'm not sure that the, this Fed can do that. Um, I'm not sure what the equity and bond markets would look like um, if that was the case. Yeah, and I think it's also probably fair to point out that the economy was less financialized then, and you saw less of an intense correlation between the S and P 500, for example, uh, and uh, and labor markets. But you know, and I don't I don't want to sort of uh, make this more grim than you intended, but it really sounds like what you're talking about here is this this notion that the Fed is simply just not going to be able to steer a sort of middle course between uh, the risks of inflation and the risks of recession. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Yeah, they can't just go and raise rates and that's going to lower food prices or energy prices. And the thing that I worry about, and I'm actually I'm actually bullish on energy. And, you know, in that last dip, I bought energy stocks and um, which have worked really pretty well. I still want to buy them on dips, though, because I think that the Biden administration, they're being... You know, they're talking about buying back crude at lower levels and they're giving prices of those lower levels. And I think it's very clear that they're going to most likely start replenishing the SPR after the election. And it's, of course, not politically minded, as they said, but I think that it's just so transparent. But that's that's a great opportunity, I think. And that'll probably keep the inflation numbers elevated. Uh, somewhat going into next year. Let me just touch on one other point, uh, which is uh, earlier today, looking at the uh, Bloomberg terminal, the top news story here in the first, literally the first paragraph uh, is this idea that uh, interest rate swaps right now are pricing a 5% peak, I think slightly above 5% when you look at the warp function uh, for the policy rate in 2023. Uh, you know, that, that suggests that the Fed is going to stay its course. Uh, at least in the view uh, of those uh, those those participants in the swap market, I'm I'm looking at right now the the implied probability. It looks like it peaks. It looks like it peaks around uh, around May of 2023 at uh, just over five percent. You know, I think uh, Jeff Gunlock said it really well. Why do they even have you know the Fed funds rate when they can just follow the two year and the two year at 460? I think is indicative of where the Fed Fed funds rate is going to go, and they're behind the curve if you look at the two year, and I think that's I think four and a half to five percent is where they're going to have to get to on the Fed funds rate. So I'm looking over here. You know, I always like to look at some of the after hour stuff, and we've always had some comical stuff with the GME stuff way back when, when that was going nuts. But it looks like Snapchat is snapping again. It's down 18 percent after hours. I don't know what their earnings are like, um, but I'm going to guess they're not so good. And Snap had a 23% implied move. That's huge. Based on the direct option market, that's a huge, huge move. And it's, it lived up to its name uh, or to its implied move. Um, so that, you know, that was the 
bellwether earlier in the year when they guided down and everybody freaked out that the online uh, advertising model was breaking. And I guess it's still broken. Well, that's really the key point, Tommy, is why is this significant? And it's, I think it's precisely that. And I think you and I were actually online when the numbers were released after hours, however many quarters ago uh, that was. And folks were reading that as some sort of, and, and we actually saw, I believe, NASDAQ composite, NASDAQ 100 get whacked the next day. The futures get whacked uh, in the after hour session. We essentially saw that being taken as a bellwether, uh, exactly as you said, for the health of the overall online advertising business, which is obviously yeah. the the model that Facebook and Google rely on. And Twitter. And, and Twitter. Twitter. And uh, I'll tell you, 44 billion, that's what a deal for the uh, shareholders of Twitter. And, I, you know, look, I think there are some people out there that think that if Twitter was not being bought, uh, it would be in a, a teenager uh, price. It would not be in the, the 20s, or be in a, a teenager of what it's worth. And, um, you know, poor Elon, <laughs> I think he couldn't get, get his way out of that and um, is going to have a buyer's remorse and um, going to lug that one for a while. And I'm sure his buddies that are financing it with him are, are thrilled. Thanks, Elon. <laughs> speaking, speaking of people who are not thrilled today, I wanted to get to our tweet of the day, uh, which is none other than at Tommy Thornton. Uh, mm. Let's take a look at this. So this uh, is uh, no caption, no words. It's just a picture of Liv's truss and a head of lettuce. Tommy, do you want to explain this one? Well, I'm, you know, I'm not I'm British heritage, but I'm not a Brit. Um, you know, the, the, the papers there are just brutal. And yeah. they were saying that uh, a head of lettuce was going to last longer than Liz Truss. And I think there were, I think there were odds uh, makers who were actually taking book on yeah, this. There was a live like YouTube channel that was had a picture of her and a, this lettuce head. And, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's a comedy show there. And, um, uh, I mean, it really kind of makes the U.S. political situation look somewhat sane. Uh. Yeah, talking of images associated uh, with the premiership of uh, Ms. Truss, we had a chart queued up. I'm not sure if we can bring it up now. Uh, that really tells the story visually, uh, and it begins, uh, you know, whatever number of days it's been since uh, she was uh, she was a premier. It begins uh, in September. Uh, with the this is a look basically at what happened to the 10-year uh, guilt yield, uh, and you can see that curve uh, right there, which kind of uh, which kind of speaks for itself. And um, you know, Liz Truss U-turns on taxes October 14 is the pen ultimate data point, and the last one, of course, is Truss resigns 20 October. Uh, so there it is, the visual image that you can see uh, for where we were with 10-year guilt yields, kind of the, the bellwether of the premiership uh, of the now former premier, Liz Truss. Well, here's what, um, the way I look at it is the markets dictated uh, how long she was going to be there. It dictated what the Bank of England had to do. And, you know, sometimes when you have the most, you know, non-volatile, safe type of strategies like LDIs, uh, they're the ones that are going to blow up because leverage is so high in those. And, you know, they're not supposed to, you're not supposed to have these types of extreme moves in the gilt market or the U.S. bond market. 
but you did. And that's what blew things up. It blew up long-term capital in 1998, where they were picking up, you know, nickels with a steamroller um, or bulldozer. And that snapped and broke and the leverage was exposed there too. So every big financial disaster revolves around leverage. Yeah, you're talking about these liability-driven uh, investments, le leverage-driven investments, and that obviously is the challenge. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. By the way, while we're pulling things up on screen, I want you to take a look uh, at a conversation that I had with Christopher Dembick, head of macro analysis at Saxo Bank. Uh, this is a conversation called Make or Break Geopolitics. This is a series we have here at Real Vision. Is this the beginning of the European disunion out today on the essential tier? Let's take a look. Well, uh, I remember I, I wrote an analysis, I think it was uh, two, two months ago, uh, saying that the UK is becoming an emerging market. And uh, I got a lot of mean messages on Twitter, especially from British people, <laughs> telling me that uh, it was a bit offensive. And perhaps it was a bit offensive. But uh, what I want to say is, I would say that the UK economy went through Brexit quite successfully. I mean, it was not a huge success as they were expecting, but you might remember in 2016 that everyone was so gloomy regarding Brexit, they would say that in 2018, 2020, the UK economy will get down by, I don't know, 20% and so on. It, it has not happened. But what has happened, Brexit actually did not harm so much uh, the, UK, the UK economy, but this is mostly mismanagement of policy. Uh, we have seen, of course, much more recently, but you have also, again, the energy crisis is a huge issue also in the United Kingdom. Uh, and I think this might be a little bit polemical, but I think for the UK, this is one of the toughest challenges in, in it has experienced over the past 60 years, perhaps. The Bank of England, uh, expect that recession will last for 15 months. And usually, you know what's going to happen when you have a recession. You have quasi, quasi automatically a very strong rebound in, in GDP. And what is striking, the Bank of England is telling us that in 2025, GDP will still be lower by 1.75% to the level of, of 2022. So this is a very gloomy economic outlook, I think, for yes. the coming years uh, for the UK. And I would have, of course, very low exposure to uh, British assets. Well, it starts with the bomb. Well, it starts with the bombshell, Tommy, this idea uh, that the UK is potentially becoming uh, an emerging market. We were talking a little bit uh, off camera about what's happening in the euro area. What are your thoughts there? Well, one of the problems that you have with the Eurozone is it's not just made up of one country for right. their central bank. It's made up of all these different countries and some are richer and some are poor. Yeah. Uh, some pay more, some pay less. And there's there could be, you know, discord as far as um, what the policy should be because each country could be hit a little harder 
uh, depending on what the central bank does. And if you want to talk about a central bank that is behind the curve, that's one that has been well behind the curve. And unfortunately, it's such a nasty situation because they have a demand, uh, excuse me, not a demand, but a, a supply shock that's affecting inflation. So they're, they need to raise rates in, to, in a, that type of an inflationary period. Um, they're gonna have a nasty recession. Their currency's going down. And that's why they, they need to raise rates um, ASAP. And uh, so that, that that is a com complete possibility. Um, you know, in the old Eurozone crisis, the Greek crisis, um, 2011, you know, there was talk of the e you know, the EU breaking up into uh, splitting off. Um, remember the pigs and all that? Yeah, so right. it's it's a little precarious. One thing that um, I did on Twitter, and I forget when it was, but it was earlier this year, I, I put a poll out. I said, you know, what, what central banks concern you the most? Something like that. And I had the Fed, I had the um, ECB, I had the... Uh, Bank of Japan, and I put the Bank of England in there, and I had a bunch of people that said, well, why would you put the Bank of England in there? And, and you know, lo and behold, they blew. And, um, you know, people said, what about China and all that? But the Bank of England, and um, I guess the, the Queen, I'm glad she's not watching this debacle, because um, it's rather embarrassing, if, you, if my personal opinion of it all. Yeah. Um Tom, we talked a little bit while we were at the break uh, about uh, what was happening in Tesla. What are your thoughts there? So I've been thinking since they came out with their deliveries that were well under consensus estimates, um, even the consensus estimates that were revised down uh, dramatically ahead of the number that came out, I thought it was a just strictly a demand issue and they blame logistics and not being able to get car carriers at the right price uh, as their you know, new excuse. But on DM today, I found a guy or a guy hit me up who was their previous car carrier, the head of logistics for the car carrier. He owned this company and he moved 56,000 Teslas for them massive operation and Tesla treated him terribly in the sense that they they didn't pay him on certain times he you know allowed it um, he was like okay fine you know you'll pay me when you pay me and as it turned out they rebid the contract and insiders were able to you know underbid it by $50 a truck or whatever something and this guy was basically left out. And this guy painted his trucks in Tesla colors and he tried to give them, you know, guidance as far as how to set up, you know, centers around the country for the logistics and the trucks. And they just shunned him and they brought in people that were complete inexperience. Um, you know, one guy was an art history teacher. One guy was a, you know, ex-swim coach. Uh, one guy ran a restaurant, no experience at all as far oh, yeah. as how to manage logistics. So now here's what's happened. They're complaining that it's cost too, It's going to cost a lot more for these carriers because they don't have a carrier company or carriers available. They bought carriers uh, a while back and they were from an old company that had 
a big investigation against them. They were rusting, and that turned out to be a real problem for them. Tell me, I want to, so I want to I, just jump. Ju go, go ahead. I just want to jump in real quick because we've got some questions uh, that are coming in from the audience. I want to have, and we're running out of time, but I want to have uh, at oh, no. least uh, the opportunity to ask just one. I'm sorry, if you wanted to finish up there on Tesla. No, that's cool. Anyway, it's a disaster there. Yeah. Story. <laughs> so this question comes to us uh, from uh, Demo at Walking Tuna. This is from, twi from Twitter. Uh, and the question is, uh, you know, this is right to the chase. Uh, rates, what's the bond market signaling? Are equities getting set up for another leg down, Tommy? Uh, yeah, the, the equity market is a slave to the bond market. And uh, uh, a friend of mine gave me that quote. And I think that's very, very true. And look, there could be a breaking point where rates just go absolutely nuts. And yesterday was the uh, anniversary of the, you know, 1987 and rates went nuts uh, into that event as well. And everything snapped. So it's very possible that, um, that that's, that's going to be on the horizon. And we have not seen a capitulation yeah. at all. So that's, um, and that, that implies at least the potential for a setup to the downside on the equities market more broadly. Yep. Tommy, here's what I learned today. There are key takeaways. Uh, earnings next week are going to be a wild ride. To quote you, Tommy, you may need a helmet. Uh, yeah, you I, be I recommend it. You want to be watching the Japan CPI tonight. BOJ may be in real trouble depending upon the outcome of that data. Uh, Long-term structural challenges across the EU, in your view, uh, and equity markets is the slave to the bond markets. Rates could go absolutely nuts, implying that there may be some downside volatility in U.S. equities. Is that about cover it, Tommy? God, I am Mr. Doom and Gloom. Eesh. Oh, no, it you won't be I, that way forever, though. When I opened up there. the Bloomberg terminal today, there was a, a picture. The first thing that came up was a big picture of Nouriel Roubini on my screen, and I was like, this is this is doomy times. Yeah, he's he is in his element right now. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I like Nouriel. I like Nouriel. It's just once that big, nasty event happens, he tends to stick with it too long. And hang out, you know, hangs out with like supermodels and tries to, you know, he's, he did that the last time. It was just like, come on. Well, this time he's got a, a call on for secular stagnation. So uh, a kind of a secular stagflationary uh, setup that's going to be global. And uh, it's it sounds pretty grim in his view. Yeah, but here's the other thing. You're really nothing if you don't make a call on the opposite end. You know, you can, there's a lot of people that are perma bears and they, they just, they're, they're perma gold or whatever. And they never get the other side right. And I try to find both sides. And sometimes they're a little shorter term in nature. But you know, if you can call the the turn, um, yeah, then then you've got some uh, gravitas. Well, that's what we always try to do here, uh, Tom. Is look for the both sides of the uh, equation, both sides of the argument. Always a pleasure to be doing this with you. Always enjoy it. Well, thanks, Ash, and thanks, everyone, uh, for joining us, and um, it's always fun. Thanks again for watching the Real Vision Daily Briefing. We'll be back again tomorrow with Warren Pies. Thanks again for joining us, Tommy. Thank you for watching. Have a great day, everyone. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, Head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. 
Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.